study the Lord's Prayer, and we want to memorize it, to utilize it. Hopefully you, uh, in whatever version, whatever translation you want to, but we are saying it together so that we can ultimately pray it together. So let's do it again. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Good for you to say that. I hope your prayer life is changing because of this. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's look again at Matthew 6. And we're going to be in verse 13 this morning. Verse 13. Matthew 6, verse 13. And let's read it together there. Uh, Look at it there as I read in verse 13. Uh, Actually, let's do the three uh, three us requests in verse 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but, and in Greek there, that's a strong adversity, deliver us from evil. And when you look at how that word is used and how that phrase is, uh, the It's likely referring to not just evil in the abstract, but the devil himself. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, how does this heart cry fit with the rest? That's what we want to look again. Because all of this is a beautiful unit together. And how it fits with those three uh, previous petitions, four, five, and six, is our Father is generous to provide for us. So ask for daily sustenance. Our Father is quick to pardon us. So ask for daily forgiveness. And our Father is strong to protect us. So we ask for daily deliverance. Basically, when you pray, you and I pray these last three petitions, on a daily basis, we're saying, Lord, I'm needy and I am sinful And I am weak. And that's not a bad thing to admit every day. Because whether we pray it and admit it, it's who we are on a daily basis. Every one of us got up this morning and we are needy and we are sinful. Even though we are saved and even though as last week our sins are forgiven, we still have a sin nature and we will sin. Probably sinned on the way to church. We may sin while we're here in we may sin on the way, but at some point today, we're all these things. Reminds me of a pastor that parked his car in a no-parking zone in a large city because he was short of time and he couldn't find space that had a meter. So he put a note under his windshield wiper that said this, I've circled the block ten times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. Forgive us our debts. And when he returned, he found, as you would expect, a ticket from a police officer along with this note. I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. 
lead us not into temptation. And so that kind of, I thought, you know, really shows the connection between these two. It's really ironic if you're going to pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins and not pray, Lord, don't lead me into greater sin then there's a lack of integrity and a lack of sincerity in our hearts. Now, how to how do these uh, how do these heart how does this heart cry tie together? Because if you notice, just like with uh, verse twelve, the forgiveness petition, the deliverance petition has two parts to it. And so, notice in this petition, do not lead us into temptation. But, strong adversity, deliver us from the evil one. The idea is this. Protect us in temptation and protect us from the deliverer. In other words, you're praying for two things. The avoidance of sin and deliverance from Satan. And so those are the idea. Avoidance and deliverance. Prevent us from being tempted. And, persev- and help us to uh, preserve us when we are tempted. Daily deliverance from sin begins with dependence on God. That's the idea. Daily deliverance. So this is a two-part, um, a two-part petition. Makes for a good two-part lesson. We're only going to do one. Uh, on this, and so we're going to focus on the first part of this prayer. But understand this: the deliverance from Satan begins with the first part of dependence on God. And so we're going to look at two aspects of this: what does lead us not into temptation mean, and why should we pray it on a daily basis? So let's take a look at it. Our heart cry for daily de- deliverance by daily dependence. What does lead us not into temptation mean? Let's take a look at that first point. What does it mean to pray this? Because it is kind of oddly worded, plus the idea, does God lead us into temptation? That kind of raises some questions. So, first of all, let's look at the, the word lead. What does it mean there? I have it in your notes. To bring into the presence of something or someone. So, we're asking, Lord, don't bring us into the presence of temptation. Uh, Jesus said that at, at, in using this word, they will bring you into the synagogues and place you under arrest. So sometimes it can mean bring you somewhere under force and forcibly bringing you. But it can also mean bringing you along under the power and the influence of another person. For instance, uh, uh, the four friends. Remember the four friends that carried their paralytic friend? up onto the roof, let him down, and brought him, led him into the presence of Jesus. So the idea of this request is don't bring us, don't carry us into a place of temptation. We want to avoid temptation as much as possible. So Lord, don't bring us into that. And what's temptation? The word there, temptation, is a tricky one. It can mean, and it is used in three different ways. It can refer to trial, it can refer to testing, and it can refer to temptation. And we're going to talk about those concepts uh, this morning. But here it means temptation. Don't bring us into the sphere and the influence of temptation. And let me give you two reasons why I think that's the case. First of all, God's purpose is 
in trials and testing is good. We don't want to pray to avoid God's testings. We don't want to pray to avoid the trials that God wants to have in our lives because out of those trials, He builds us up and He brings them into our lives for our good and for His glory. And so God's trials are good. We don't want to avoid those. And the context, the context of the passage is evil. It's, <laughs> the second half of the passage is deliverance from the evil one. And so the idea is not God's testings as much as temptation. Lord, don't bring us into the sphere of being tempted to sin and deliver us from the evil one. But is it biblical to pray this way? So let me, let, let's kind of look at this and see, you know, is it biblical to pray God? I mean, I, after all, I thought... God doesn't tempt anyone. So why would he bring us into the sphere of temptation? And if he's not going to do that, why would I pray it? So let's take a look. The Father sometimes leads us into temptation. The Father sometimes brings us, carries us, leads us into temptation. Now, how many have written that? Does that sound odd? Sounds a little odd. Is that biblical? Well, here in the book of Matthew... Look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. In Matthew 4, 1, you can just turn to 4, 1. Matthew 4, 1, there in your Bibles. Here's the temptation of Jesus. And, and notice what it says. Then Jesus was led up, and there's our word for being brought, led, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led but the devil is doing the tempting. So here's what you see. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted, but it was the devil doing the tempting. You say, well, is, is this elsewhere in the Bible? Yeah, look at the book of Job. Turn your Bibles to Job chapter 1. Probably one of the most radical insights into how God allows temptation to enter our lives, yet it is the devil who does the tempting, is Job chapter 1. So turn there in your Bibles, Job chapter 1, verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. Job 1, verse 6. Notice what it says. This is all taking place in heaven. And Job never knows any of this. None of this does he know. That is taking place. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, that refers to angelic beings in this context, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also was among them. So here's Satan with access to heaven to do what? To accuse God's people before the Father. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Notice, who brings up Job first? It's not, it's not the devil it's God himself. He brings him to the devil's attention. So Satan answered him and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and increased 
uh, and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions and have increased his land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he is, all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Notice, not only does Satan accuse and slander Job before God, but he also slanders God by saying, you stretch out your hand to destroy him. And God, that's not God's heart. God's been blessing him. And yet God says, you can do the destructive thing that you want to do, but there's limits to it. Don't lay your hand on his person. So what happened? Well, look at Job 1.22. How did Job pass uh, this? Uh, did he resist temptation and did he pass God's test? Look at 1.22. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Satan swoops in. Satan uses weather, uses people, and takes from Job all these possessions. And yet, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So Satan's not happy. He didn't curse God. So go to chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. Satan returns. He takes another, he, he enters into the presence of God. And notice what the Lord does again. He initiates. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? In other words, he resisted the temptation to curse God. And notice, and he still holds fast to his integrity, though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. You wanted to destroy him without cause. And I allowed him to enter into this fear of temptation where you are the devil and the destructive one. So Satan answered to the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. Again, Satan's trying to say, you do it, God. You're the evil one. And what does the Lord say? The Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. But again, there's limitations. You've got to spare his life. You're the destructive one. I'm not. There's limitations to this. Look at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took for him, and Job took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Look, God will even use your spouse uh, uh, Satan will even use your spouse to tempt you, male, female, husband, wife. Uh, he, Satan is doing everything he can to tempt Job. And what does Job say? Verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And then notice what it says. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, I read all that because we're going to come back to it, but I want you to see 
that God allowed Job to enter into the place of temptation, but it was Satan who was doing the tempting. One last example. We've seen Jesus. We've seen Job. Let's look at Peter. Turn your Bibles to Luke 22. Let's look at Peter. Peter was tempted by the devil and failed in temptation when Satan asked to sift him like wheat and God allowed it to occur. I mean, we're we're talking about wild things here. Luke 22. Look at verses 31 through 32. Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Satan can't do anything that the sovereign God does not first allow. Satan asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, all I want you to see at this point is that we do need to pray. God, do not bring us, lead us into the place of temptation. In each case, God either caused or allowed the individual to enter into temptation, but never was the one who actually did the tempting. God doesn't bring us or allow us to enter the sphere of... uh, uh, God does bring us and he does allow us to enter the sphere of temptation, but he himself tempts no one. He allows us to be tempted, but he is not the author of the temptation. All right? You see that? There, there, that's it. God permits sin, but he doesn't promote it. He's not the author of it. Now, what I've just said is radical. I mean, is that kind of... So maybe you haven't thought this way, seen this, kind of blowing your mind. I thought God would be, you know, wouldn't do this. But remember this. No matter what kind of anxieties... Fears or questions this may you know may bring up in your heart that this same Father who allows and sometimes brings us into the sphere of salvation we saw last week this is the same Father who sacrificed His only begotten Son who offered up His only begotten Son to pay fully for our sins paid for it in full on the cross. Which is why we can pray to our Father, forgive us our debts. Now, why would a loving Father ever allow His children to go through temptations? Good question. Fair question. Why is that? Well, let's look at it. Although the Father sometimes leads us or brings us into temptation, the Father never brings us into temptation to tempt us, but instead to test us. The Father never leads us into temptation to tempt us, but only to test us. Now let's think about this a little bit. What's the difference between God's testing and Satan's tempting? Well, first of all, every trial is both a test and a temptation. Every trial is both a test and a temptation. So if you, if you enter into a time of testing, realize it's also going to be a time of tempting. And if you are being tempted to sin, understand that God is allowing it to be a test. And so what you're facing is one thing, 
But it's coming at it that God and the devil are coming at it for two different purposes. God is seeking to test. Satan is tempting, is seeking to tempt. And the trial, think about this. The trial, it may be something positive, like a new relationship or buying a new house. Or a promotion or, or something. The birth of a child. Those are all good things. But they can also be a trial and they can be a testing. It might be something that's negative. Like losing your job. Or, or, or the death of a loved one. Or it might be something neutral. Like the daily routine of work. So much of our testing and our tempting comes in the daily routine. It's not in the, woo, you know, flashing, you know, crisis moments. Today may be a routine day for you and me. But today is, could be, and probably is, a time of testing and tempting. Every trial is a test from God and a temptation from the devil. The difference between God's testing and Satan's tempting is not the trial, but the person's purpose in it, his purpose in it, the devil's purpose and God's. God's purpose is to bring us into temptation so that we pass the test. The devil's purpose is he wants God to allow us to be tempted so that we fail and Satan can get a stronghold in our lives. So that's the first thing. Every trial is both a test and a temptation. Secondly, every trial is a choice to be either approved by God or accused by the devil. Approved by God or accused by the devil. So when I face this test slash temptation, the outcome is going to be one of two things. I'm going to pass the test and God is going to bless and, and, and reward and bring blessings out of that. Or if I fail, Satan's going to be there to accuse us, not only in our conscience. See, you're, a, you're an unworthy Christian. You're not a daughter of God. You're not a son of God. Look at how you're living. Or accuse us before God. God, look at your kids. They're horrible. Why did you even choose them? Why did you send your son to die for them? Every trial, it's either approval or accuse. So look at the chart that's there in your notes. Here's God's purposes. I'm sure there's many more, but here's at least four. When he allows you to enter into the sphere of temptation, it's for a test. It's to reward us on the other side of it. There's a reward, sometimes on this earth, but definitely in eternity, in heaven, in the kingdom to come. Sometimes... And definitely, probably all the time, it's to refine us. All right? Here's what happened to Job. While Job didn't sin with his lips initially, eventually he did. And eventually Job had to repent. Even though he still trusted God, he remained faithful to God, he kind of got after it with God. He kind of backtalked some. And he had to repent in the end. He was refined by the fire. How many of you ever been through a hard time and all of a sudden you're like, man, I've got some junk in my heart that I didn't know was in there. I mean, I've been living pretty good. People think I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden that temptation, that trial comes and all of a sudden, uh, pardon my, well, yeah, just junk comes out of your, your heart. And you're like, where's that come from? And we have a tendency to blame the trial or the people 
And God's saying, no, I want you to see just how bad your heart is on a daily basis. And sometimes you forget that. Refine us. And then to reassure us for encouragement. I promise you, if you've been through a trial and you've stayed faithful to God, some of the sweetest moments in life are in the deepest valleys where God walks with you. Lo, I am with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I know uh, we used to like the footprints. You ever heard the footprints in the sand, right? You know, two sets of footprints. But, Lord, there's one set. And the Lord, the the, uh, magical made-up Lord says, that's when I carried you. And then Jared Wilson, prof up at Midwestern, says, no, I carried your sorry butt the whole time. The whole time. That's his words, not mine. I still think it's funny. It's funny. I just carried your sorry butt the whole time. Hey, the moment you got saved to the moment you get resurrected, Jesus is carrying us, right? But it becomes sweeter and more needful in the midst of the trial and reassured. Why do people go to the Psalms in the midst of trials? Because that's where David was getting getting, uh, tempted and tested and tried. And, and, and just his relationship with God, you're my only hope. And then to reveal, for, reveal us for evaluation. Again, to show forth the grace of God in our hearts through that testing. These are all God's purposes, but they're countered by Satan's purposes in tempting. Instead of rewarding us, he wants to accuse us. And look, every one of these slander us before God, condemn us before God, enslave us before God. And Satan did every one of those things in Job 1 and 2. If you think back to what we read, first of all, he accused Job. Oh, he likes you only for the things you give him. He accused him. And that is a slander against God. And he slandered God. Because he said, you know, eh, if you would just destroy him as if God would want to do that. God doesn't want to do that. That's not God's intent. And then his goal was to condemn him and come, you know, go down to earth, cause him to curse God, come back into heaven and say, see, he cursed you. He cursed you. He cursed you. And ultimately then to enslave Job into that form of lack of faith and trust that's the two purposes all right so here's the third point i want you to see in light of all that here's the third point and it's this every trial is either a triumph of god's kingdom or of satan's kingdom so sometimes the father leads us he never leads us to tempt us but to test us but every trial is either a triumph for God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom. Here's the idea. Listen, in a real sense, the reason the Father allows us to be tested is this, to hollow His name through in and through us, to, to further His kingdom in and through us, to do His will in and through us, so that we can say through the trial, through the testing, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. But you know what Satan wants? He wants to profane God's name. By our sin, our our lack of faith, our disobedience profanes the name of God to the people around us. Listen, when you live in sin and we persist in sin, we are profaning the name of God. And there's no other way to explain it. And he wants to hinder God's kingdom 
Because if he has us dallying in sin, we're not furthering the kingdom. And then he wants us to disobey God's will. Here's the bottom line. Every trial is either a triumph for God's kingdom or for Satan's kingdom. So here's what we should be praying. Here's what we should be praying. Dearest Father, don't cause or allow us to be brought into a place where temptation will defeat us, but instead deliver us from the evil one. Now, that's what it means. Don't bring us into a place where we'll be defeated by temptation. And therefore, we, don't, we want to be delivered from the power of the evil one. Now, why should we pray this on a daily basis? Why do we need to pray this on a daily basis? Well, I think there's three great reasons. First of all, because we are weak. Because we are weak. We are weak. So pray for avoidance. Okay? Look, Lord, I know me, and you know me. I don't need greater temptation in my life. Because it ain't going to turn out well. I'm weak. Pray for avoidance. So here's what we pray. Listen up. Dearest Father, do not bring us into the place of temptation because we are weak. We are weak. So here's what a prayerful dependence prays for avoidance of temptation. Avoidance of temptation. Let me ask you, how often have you prayed to avoid temptation? Avoid temptation. A prayerful dependence. So, listen, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're really praying, lead us away from it. Lord, get me as far away from temptation as possible. I want to avoid it as much as I possibly can. Turn your Bibles to Matthew twenty six forty. It's interesting that on this Palm Sunday, leads us right into Good Friday, so much of this lead us not is found on the night before Christ goes to the cross. Matthew 26, 40. Here's what Jesus says. He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Okay, he's in the garden. He's praying, Father, he's praying the Lord's prayer. Uh, not my will, but your will be done. And he's gathered his closest disciples, James John and Peter, and he said, hey, watch and pray with me because I'm entering into a, the greatest sphere of temptation of my entire earthly life. And here's what he finds. He said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. So why did he tell them to pray in that verse? Pray that you may not what? What's it say? Verse 41. May not enter, fall, enter into temptation. Exactly. So if here's the radical point. If we're not praying this prayer on a daily basis, then guess what we're facing more of that we didn't have to? Temptation. Have you ever thought about that? See, we kind of take a passive approach. Well, whatever I'm going to be tempted of, I'm going to be tempted of. Or we're inclined to sin, so we're kind of, we make provision for the flesh. But if we would be praying this, we would be tempted less. That's... 
pretty interesting. Who wouldn't pray like this? Only those that think they are stronger than the daily temptations they face. Luke twenty two forty. When he arrived at this place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. But what we have is prayerless arrogance. And when we are prayerless, we are arrogant. And guess what happens? Instead of avoidance, we get entrance into temptation. So there, there's, your, there's your options today. Prayerful dependence, where you ask for avoidance, or prayerless arrogance, where you are going to enter into greater temptation. And guess what? Sleepy Peter, prayerless Peter, is the great example of this. So turn back to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. So this is on the night he went to the cross. Matthew 26, and let's pick the story up in verse 31, and let's see what he says. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter... Okay, now he just said, all of you are going to fall away. Okay, all of you. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, like these sorry losers, these other 11, because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die. I mean, so here's the Lord saying, no, no, this is what's going to happen. No, no, you're mistaken, Lord. Here's what's going to happen. Okay, I know how this is going to play out. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And it wasn't just Peter, because this is the human heart. And all the disciples said the same thing. No, Peter, no. Oh, wait, Peter's putting him, you know, putting on. No, no, no. We're as good as Peter, Lord. We're not going to deny you. Verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, which means crushing. It's the place where they crushed olives for olive oil. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Watch with me in prayer. And so he went a little beyond them. He fell on his face and he prayed saying, and what did he pray? He prayed his own prayer. He prayed it for us. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. That's how you resist temptation. You pray it. You pray it to the Father on your face before Him. And He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And He said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. Why? Because your spirit is willing. I know that. But the flesh is weak. You've got to pray in prayerful dependence to avoid sin. Because of his arrogance, 
Peter was talking when he should have been listening to the Lord. The Lord was speaking, and Peter, like we do, you ever talk to someone, and the whole time they're talking, you're really thinking about what you're going to say? Instead of talking, he should have been listening. Because of his ignorance, he was sleeping when he should have been praying. Because of his independence, he was falling when he could have been standing. And because of his prayerlessness, he was sinning when he should have been resisting. All because... He didn't have a prayerful dependence. Why should you pray this? Because Jesus has warned us. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Okay? So, we are weak. But there's a second reason we need to pray this daily. The enemy is strong. The enemy is strong. And so pray for deliverance. Hey, if you're going to arm wrestle the devil, who's going to win? The devil's going to win every time. So you've got to pray for deliverance because you're weak and the enemy is strong. Dearest Father, don't bring us into this place of temptation because we are weak and the enemy is strong. Prayerful de- dependence will pray for deliverance in temptation. Deliverance in temptation. Now, why do I say this? Because as much as we pray to avoid it, we pray to avoid it as much as possible. I like what the reformer Martin Luther used to say about birds. I I can't keep birds from landing on my head, but I can keep them from a nest in my hair. You can't avoid all temptation, but you can make sure that you don't keep giving in to temptation and keep falling into it so prayerful dependence deliverance in temptation so when we pray this petition we're not only praying for avoidance we're praying for deliverance as well so lord keep me as far away from it as possible but when i face it don't allow me to over be overcome by it allow me to be Prevent us from being tempted as much as possible and prevent us from sinning in it as much as possible. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this about our our enemy, the devil. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen, we've got powerful forces all around us. I mean, think about Job. Job's down on earth, and his enemies where? Up in heaven, strategizing, accusing, slandering. Listen, Job doesn't even know what's happening. But you know what Job can do and what we can do? We can pray. Lord, I want to avoid it. And if I can't avoid it, deliver me from it. Deliver me. Here's the idea. Prayerless arrogance will not escape temptation and it will not endure under temptation. Prayerless arrogance will not escape it and you will not endure it without sinning. It's just a fact. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want you to... If there's a key verse 
that you ought to memorize, meditate in this lesson. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Notice what it says. Here's what Paul says. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. So when we're faced with temptation, what do we think? We think like we are in this unique, no one knows what I'm facing. And God says, nope, nobody, no, every, this is, you are not unique. It's common to everybody. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So when God allows a temptation through the devil to enter our lives, it's because he knows that in Christ we can resist it. But with the temptation, will provide a way of escape also so that you can endure it. Escaping and endurance is possible in temptation. But prayerless arrogance doesn't escape, doesn't see the way of escape, and doesn't set free and isn't able to endure through it. So, why do we pray this prayer on a daily basis? We pray it because, number one, we are what? Weak. Number two, the enemy is strong. But there's a third reason why we pray it, and it's this. It's a beautiful truth. God is stronger. Okay? We are weak. The enemy is strong. But God is stronger. So pray with confidence. So here's our prayer. Dearest Father, do not bring us into the place of temptation because we are weak. The enemy is strong. But you are strong. So pray with a prayerful dependence, with confidence about temptation. So pray for avoidance. Pray for deliverance. But when you pray, pray with confidence about temptation. Why? Because God is faithful. So let's take, let's take a look at this. Look back at 1 Corinthians 10.13. The reason we pray with confidence is not because of us, because we're weak. Not because we can get the best of devil. No, he's strong. It's because God is faithful. Our confidence is, is threefold. Trust in the Father's person, his risen son. Just think about Jesus on this Palm Sunday. He entered into Jerusalem and they said, Behold your king! Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Jesus is king. Listen, King Jesus is risen and he's in absolute control of whatever you're struggling with today. King Jesus is more powerful than anyone or anything trying to defeat you today. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. King Jesus is already victorious over anything and anyone who tempts us. Listen to me, listen to me. When he started his ministry, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted just as Israel had been tempted. Did Israel fail? Yeah. Did Jesus fail? No. Jesus went into the garden and was tempted to not go to the cross. And he resisted. He was victorious. Jesus on the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I deliver my spirit 
unto you. He dies. He's buried. He raises again victorious. He's seated at the right hand. And right now, do you know what he's doing for each of us? He's interceding. He's praying for us. Remember what he said to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. Hey, the enemy is in the sifting and the destroying business. And he doesn't take a day off. But Jesus is praying. The question for us this morning is, are we praying with him for avoidance, for deliverance, and doing so with confidence? Trust in the person of Christ. Trust in the Father's promise. How many times have you promised God something and failed? We all have. doesn't mean you shouldn't promise God. It just means you're not going to do it perfectly. But God has never broke one of his promises. You want God's promise about temptation? You memorize and you meditate 1 Corinthians 10.13. Trust in the Father's power. We don't have to be defeated by temptation. We can be delivered. But you know what? Prayerless arrogance, here's what happens with prayerless arrogance. You're going to be conquered by temptation, and you're going to be caught in the tempter's trap. Prayerless arrogance means you are going to be conquered by temptation over and over and over. And when you're caught like that, you're ensnared to the devil until you repent, until you confess. But listen, on this Palm Sunday, there is one who has faced every temptation, according to the book of Hebrews. He has, he has faced every temptation known to man, woman, or child, and yet without sin. Amen? He went to the cross. He took that perfect life. And he died in our place as our substitute. Amen? And his sacrifice paid for your and my sins in full and he rose he ascended and now he is leveraging his power his grace his goodness so that we don't have to fall into sin so let me ask you this morning as you take this your sheet how's your heart cry how's your heart cry for daily deliverance I was convicted by this. I pray the Lord's Prayer, and I've already told you this earlier in the series. When I pray it for me and pray it for you, the first three petitions are so grand, I often don't get beyond those. You know, because I'm so lifted up into God's goodness and grace, and my perspective has changed, and I'm motivated, and that's great and wonderful. But what I'm realizing is I'm not praying the last three petitions enough, particularly this last one, and think about it. How many temptations that you have faced that I have faced that we didn't have to face had we prayed this on a daily basis think about that and so pray this pray it but understand this having prayed it we've got to live it you pray it on your knees but then you get up and you live it Make no provision for the flesh. You know, well, how crazy 
to say, Lord, I want to avoid temptation today. And then I watch or I listen to or I go to those places where I know I'm going to be tempted. All right. So you got to pray it and then you got to live it from the heart. So let me ask you this morning. Do you want to be an overcomer or a survivor as a Christian? Do you want to move beyond getting daily bread and receiving daily forgiveness? Or do you want to start overcoming temptation? Do you want to move beyond verse 12 and begin to experience verse 13? See, too many Christians live verse 12. Oh, Lord, I did it again. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And they don't experience verse 13. I was delivered. I avoided. Praise God, I'm delivered. And, you know, sometimes our understanding of the gospel is the fault because what we do is we talk about Jesus dying for the forgiveness of our sins. You're right, but he rose for the power to overcome temptation. And so write out what you learned today. God willing, you learned something. Write it out. And then on the back, I've given you six ways to pray it and live it. This petition, six ways to do that. So take it and do it. And I hope in the process that we can come out through this stronger. Amen? I need it. I need you to pray this way for me. I need to be praying this way for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would not lead us, carry us, bring us into the sphere of temptation. Far from it, Lord. I pray that you would deliver us from the schemes, the deceits, the lies, the seduction, the perversion of the evil one. God said to Job, you want to destroy him. And yet God's intention all along was to bless him. But Lord, we got to come to you. Because we're needy, we're sinful, but we are weak in the face of our enemy. But in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers, and we long to live it just as we pray it. And we know that you're praying it for us right now in heaven. In Jesus' name, we will be victorious this week. Amen. Amen. Hey, be encouraged on this Palm Sunday.